Welcome to the Light Reading Podcast. You're listening to the flagship audio production of Light Reading, the telecom industry's most important outlet for daily news and analysis. This is Phil Harvey. I'm an editor at Light Reading, slaving over a hot keyboard and making sure your news arrives fresh, fair, and in a reasonably tasty presentation. Joining me on the podcast today is my Light Reading colleague, Kelsey Zeiser. She is the head chef over at the 5G Exchange, and she works with a broad selection of industry ingredients and puts on a 5G feast for you every single day, so go check out her fine work there. Our interview subject today is the CEO of Orange Business Services, Mr. Helmut Reisinger. And Orange Business Services has made a lot of noise about its credentials as an integrator of uh, uh, all kinds of connectivity-based services for enterprises of all sizes all around the world. And in particular, it's made uh, a a big effort in the multi-cloud environment. So uh, Mr. Reisinger will weigh in on what his company is doing, what it hopes to do next, where it sees growth. He'll help us define some terms that will help us understand his company a little bit better and also set it apart in the market. And we will also talk about coronavirus preparedness because, uh, hey, that's just where things are right now, aren't they? You will get all of that and much, much more right after this break. Okay, uh, Helmut Reisinger, CEO of Orange Business Services, thanks so much for being on the Light Reading Podcast. Hello, Phil. Nice to be with you all. Great to have you. And uh, I guess the first question is in um, in a lot of Orange Business Services uh, materials, marketing materials and conversations, the words network native have come up uh, over and over again. And I wanted to get uh, a definition. I think I know what you know, I know what cloud native is, but I'm not I'm not 100 percent sure what network native is. It seems to be a point of differentiation for Orange Business Services. So what does network native mean? Network native stands for the fact that we have our DNA is coming from the networks. And as you know, Orange Business Services is providing B2B digital services to more than uh, 3,500 multinationals in more than 200 countries across the world. And we are doing today quite a substantial part already of IT and integration services. To be precise, we published our numbers recently, 37, so above one third of our activities are already uh, digital or IT and integration services. This is why we wanted to answer ourselves the question, who are we actually in the end for our customers? And we said, we are a network native digital services company. And this is composed of one core business that you would call it that's the global telco core providing networks uh, into far places like Burundi or wherever mm-hmm. our global customers are. But that's also on four growth uh, vectors. This is cyber defense. This is cloud. This is digital and data. And it's smart mobility services, the latter in anticipation of the emergence of 5G. And all of this, uh, I believe, points to the fact that data in itself, and we just entered a new decade, is actually becoming more and more a key production or value creator for enterprises. And we call this the internet of enterprises that is actually 
not only combining people or connecting people, it's also uh, connecting sites and more and more it's connecting objects. You know, in the, in the, the Internet of Consumers, more and more connecting people. But here, the Internet of Enterprises, it's people, sites, objects. It's not only about sharing emotions, it's really also about sharing know-how. And, of course, you need to protect your intellectual property. That's why everything needs to be also cyber-secured end-to-end. And we believe for our enterprise customers the fact that for them, hyper-connectivity is becoming more important, uh, more and more is cloud-enabled, and, of course, they need to protect this intellectual property. That's why we said it has a distinctive value to be network-native. You have mm-hmm. sharper eyes, if I may say it like this, if you have uh, uh, a DNA of a telco, global telco operator, and this is particularly important when we think about uh, cyber defense threat, you see more of the potential threats that are coming uh, across our global networks. Or secondly, when we talk about accessing cloud services for your mm-hmm. knowledge workers, wherever they are based, because networks are more and more platforms as well to access those cloud services. So this is why we termed ourselves network native service, uh, digital services company. And we also defined what we do. We connect, protect, and innovate for sustainable business growth of our clients. Helmet, as um, Orange is reinventing itself from what we would define as a traditional telco, um, is Orange Business Services in a position to offer its most popular products on any telcos or CSP's infrastructure? Yeah, well, we, what we see starting from our customers is that historically, historically, the customers have, they still have, but they had primarily a physical value chain. Something was designed, something has been produced somewhere, and something then has been supply chained, and then it has got sold and after sales service. Uh, all of these value chains have been globalized. The second wave that happened over the past 20 years was most and most of these value chains have been digitized. That's what we call the digital value chain. Uh, and, and this is the link to your question in the sense that a digital value chains mean the chain of value creation from data at its generation were to collect the data, then to transport it onto networks that are also more and more virtualized, then to be stored and compute this data, that's the cloud story. Then of course you have to do some analytics on it and hopefully because we speak about uh, digital with a human touch, you also have to collaborate and share something. And of course, it needs to be end-to-end cyber secured. So these parts of the value chain, can they put on any kind of networks? Not really, yet we have to cooperate to provide an end-to-end, and this is our promise to our customers, an end-to-end offering to our clients, wherever they operate, in whichever part in the United States, to Australia, etc. then of course, we do not own the last mile everywhere. This is why we need to cooperate in this ecosystem play, because this Internet of Enterprise is an ecosystem play. And there is one trend that we see more and more emerging, and we have signed up major clients on this already, which is multi-sourcing integration. Our mm-hmm. customers want to say, I want to have one trusted partner to take care of my communications platform, of my network infrastructure, for example. Uh, and it's this partner then who needs to take care that, for example, in China, we are complying also with the requirements of local regulation or in Russia or in the United States. Because 
in the overall framework, what we see is that uh, despite the internet is one global phenomenon, we do see that there is more and more geopolitically driven data ecosystems. Now you have the Chinese ecosystem, you have the Russian ecosystem, you yeah. have the European uh, very data sensibility, data protection or GDPR ecosystem. You have the US. In the US, you have California that is more closer to Europe than, than to the rest of US, if I take it from that point of view. Uh, you have Argentina, Brazil, more moving also into the European side. So in that sense, can we offer those products? Yes, they are running on lots of different uh, platforms. And uh, this is why we focus even on cloud. We say our approach is multi-cloud and services because our customers that are global ask for options. They want to have not something that where they are locked in. Please give me two or three options. Similar thing we did recently on the software defined networks. We are working with two major players technologically that we integrate because we want to give options and they are very two different options. You know, that's a good, uh, a, a great explanation of how you can be network native, but also not own the entirety of the infrastructure in order to provide services. So multi-service, multi-connection and multi-cloud uh, kind of plays into that. Um, one quick question about uh, the network capabilities, and then we'll uh, we'll go to break. Um, what uh, what capabilities is Orange Business Services building out right now? Um, what are you looking to add over the next couple of years, and how are you uh, um, and and how is that all coming about um, in terms of the the overall uh, Orange Business Services portfolio? Mm-hmm. Well, first of all, our approach, as I said, our network capabilities for our global clients are really reaching more than 200 countries. Um, And here, the big theme has been, if I look back to the past 10 years, I'm now more than 10 years now in the Orange family, uh, we started off coming from classical, very private networks at global scale. We then moved into, this was around 2012-13, we moved into hybrid networks, hybrid standing for the fact people said, oops, I want to use for the less critical sites or for sites where there's less critical data, I want to use internet. But then of course we had to put on top of it uh, so-called application performance management vehicles. So these were solutions in order to make sure that the experience from the, industry, from the knowledge worker of uh, that company or that customer is the same whether he was using a private network or the internet. Mm-hmm. And of course, if you talk internet, you need to make sure that there is security around it. Now, this has been done, if I say it like this, in a more, uh, the French would say a bricolage, a bit of handicrafted way. We were building it from scratch and manually. With the emergence of the software-defined networking uh, revolution, SDN, uh, this and virtualization, this allowed for a new way of more agility and flexibility to manage and integrate certain parts of network components, private networks, you can use internet bricks into it, et cetera, into your overall solution. And you can actually, because it's virtualized, put this on universal uh, platforms if you want. And here, what we have been working on, and I hope that some of the reviews you have seen, we have become a leader on that for the first time at global level in terms of executing on it for our clients. The next thing will be, there will be more and more intelligence moving to the edge. And therefore, we need to have enough 
compute power as well on the edge of a given site. And what we will never um, compromise on is the fact that as we talk about the Internet of Enterprise, the uh, intellectual property of any given business and the data needs to be protected end to end from collecting the data until you share it or you work on it and you transport and you store and compute, etc. So the edge topic is a critical one, the virtualization and the rollout. And recently we have announced mm -hmm. this, we have signed up great customers at global level like Sony or even the Mars Group of the United States, if I take two Americans, and we are proud of that to, again, accompany this major transformation of network platforms towards the software-defined age using a uniform global service approach. There is one team across the globe, 24 by 7, doing the build and run, and this is really a, a great expertise that is available for our customers. Excellent. And we will uh, we will pause there for a quick break. Uh, this podcast, by the way, is a uh, bricolage, as you say. I think it's uh, uh, made with readily available components <laughs> um, and, and, and guest host. <laughs> Sorry, Kelsey. Um, all right. Here we go. Uh, we'll, we'll, we will uh, pause for a second. We'll go on a quick break and we'll be right back on the Light Reading Podcast. Welcome back to the Light Reading Podcast. I'm Phil Harvey. I'm uh, with co-host uh, and uh, Light Reading Editor Kelsey Zeiser. Hello, Kelsey. Hello. And we are joined today by uh, Orange Business Services CEO Helmut Reisinger from Paris. Hello, Helmut. Hello, Phil. Thanks for being with us. Um, the first question I should ask um, that's kind of more newsworthy, uh, you know, we've talked a little bit about Orange Business Services and how it uh, how it sees itself in the world in terms of uh, how it differentiates itself from competitors, the services that it offers and where its network is going. Now there's some other things that we uh, uh, can't control. And that's uh, one of those. If you've walked through an airport lately is uh, the uh, uh, spread of the latest coronavirus. And um, as we're recording this uh, uh, in February, uh, late February, the uh, uh, the outbreak has spread to parts of northern Italy and uh, some entire towns there have been uh, quarantined. And so there's a there's a bit of a, a bit more concern about it this week than there was, you know, in previous weeks, because before it was sort of uh, uh, kept to. Uh, mainland China for the most part with with smaller uh, you know outbreaks uh, in other places um, so I wanted to ask you as a CEO you, you've obviously got to be watching this and maybe anticipating or maybe thinking through how this could affect your business since orange global uh, since orange business services is a global business has customers all over the place and this affects you know their ability uh, to move around it, it's still early days in this, but uh, have you have you any thoughts on um, on how you prepare for something like this or how you respond as a business? Yeah, for um, well, first of all, on this uh, coronavirus, of course, I think it's a perfect example of think the unthinkable. I mean, who, who would have thought that you were just mentioning those Italian towns that right. suddenly a sized town 
in northern Italy is completely quarantined, blocked off. And of course, to a bigger scale, this happened in the region of Hubei and the city of Wuhan. And, and uh, it impacted us, of course. Now, how to prepare? Now, as we are operating with more than 27,000 staff in more than 100 countries, they are spread all, all across all continents. Uh, we have so-called uh, anticipation crisis teams. And when we saw the first uh, waves uh, and of news coming, and this was actually, I think, around about the 10th or 11th of January, we did one thing in that already, uh, which was flight uh, cancellations on our side for the employees, as well as then we canceled our, and this was the first impact physically impacting us, which mm-hmm. was we uh, canceled the Asia Pacific regional kickoff. Every year we have a, a gathering of the teams that are so spread and it's a very important moment for them. And we, we converted yeah. into a digital kickoff, which means, uh, well, I was coming in from Paris, uh, some of my colleagues as well, and we had from down under Australia up to China, Japan, over to India, we had about 700 different connection points coming together. It needs good preparation. It needs good discipline, but it's feasible. I think what we, what we clearly see is that this is a good, uh, it shows the vulnerability of our globalization and our globalized value chains. Before, I was mentioning the fact that the physical value chains on the production chains and so on are actually globalized. 70% of all the physical value chains are of global trade today is multinational or even multi-continental. And this shows that suddenly, and look at the German uh, car manufacturing, um, sometimes those uh, supply chains are simply then interrupted. And we see this because China has become such an important part of the world economy. And uh, so we see there, good news is that a lot of our customers have prepared themselves and they have digital tools available so that the knowledge flow is still there. But at the end of the day, we have seen this with several factories that they are still shut down or still not in operation because you need at the end of the day, um, uh, of course, uh, people to run those factories. I think what we also see is that uh, on the B2C side, on the consumer side, if I'm not mistaken, I read this actually last Friday only, that Mm -hmm. there's a record uh, level achieved, never seen before in China in terms of download of applications in mm-hmm. terms of downloads of gaming or videos. Why? Right. Because if you cannot move out of the house, I mean, we are human beings, we are social animals, but if you are restricted to just your apartment, etc., of course, then digital provides one avenue to the world, if I may say. And I think this is one of the impacts that we have seen. So in terms of crisis management, I think what is critical is anticipation, mm-hmm. trying to share as much as we can, having the right experts. Huh? We typically have on these our service teams on it, we have our HR teams on it, uh, et cetera, uh, to make sure that the knowledge is shared, but also to give assurance. I mean, we have quite a big team in, in, um, in China, uh, and they are led by a local country manager. And a key, key messaging, key support to them, I believe, is as of the same importance then to make sure that all the rules, et cetera, are kept, yeah? Yeah, I definitely think, um, like you said, assurance and and being um, uh, very open with your employees um, definitely would go a long way. 
Um, in the first half of the podcast, we talked a lot about how Orange Business Services is becoming a network native digital services companies and some of the capabilities that you're adding to your digital services portfolio. Um, so how would you say that um, you were differentiating yourself from your competitors? Um, just expanding on that conversation and um, who are your competitors if you're no longer just a telco? Well, the competitors range from, from very different fields because if we are uh, providing services along the digital value chain from collecting data uh, over to transporting, that's the network, that's more the telco classical core business. So there you would have local or global uh, telecom operators uh, to the cloud uh, service providers. And we don't, our uh, aim is not to say, well, we want to be uh, as the same size of Amazon Web Services, they have their own space found, and of course their B2C plays an, a major role as well, mm -hmm. but we are focused on, on multi-cloud and services, and we provide options to our customers. That's why we cannot focus only on one solution in terms of cloud. So competitors can be players who are in the IT and integration services field. Uh, if you look to the cyber defense uh, market, Kelsey, it's very much a very fragmented market mm -hmm. uh, where we provide though global perimetric security solutions uh, even down to New Zealand. On the other hand, uh, if you look to um, cyber defense, it's still very much also a local topic. Uh, the Germans trust the Germans, the Americans, the Americans, and so on and so on. So you need to have good local component in it. And that's why we also acquired recently uh, two companies in that field across Europe. So. To be honest, it's a wide array of um, uh, different competitors. What is critical for us is also the whole competency and skill transformation. So we are hiring quite a lot of new talents per year, uh, and we're speaking of about 4,000 per annum. Uh, and here, of course, uh, the key thing is to be an attractive employer, because we talked before that over the past 30 years, the first wave was globalization. A second wave was digitalization. I believe, looking back to the past three, four years, there is something that is emerging, which is the question of purpose and responsibility. And here, uh, Orange Business Services, being part of the Orange Group, we play actually quite an important role because uh, we have uh, done um, uh, more than 13 different country certifications across the continent, as we are so global. And with that, the Orange Group and Orange Business Services have become for the fifth year in a row also top global employer. That's something where I believe at the end of the day, like in B2B, customers pay a lot of attention to trust. Same thing is for young uh, and curious people who want to join a new organization that gives them the perspective of going global, being recognized as a top global employer hopefully should help us as well to continue successfully in this transformation. Thanks for that. Um, it's interesting, the the, the waves were, uh, the first wave you talk about globalization was brought about by, you know, all of us becoming more connected and travel being relatively easier. Digitalization, uh, if, if that's still a word, is... Uh, or maybe I messed it up, but but digitizing everything, basically making it, uh, oh. you know, uh, enabling more things on on the network and on devices. Um, 
it's interesting because the one that the the that's different is purpose and responsibility. That's very, um, that's very down to, uh, you know, like you said, the individual and, and their sense of value inside of an organization. That's, that's quite a, quite a unique challenge. I think it, it's, uh, it, it's, it's interesting too, that you're, you're acknowledging that because I think if you, uh, uh, I think that is going to be a way that companies compete, uh, and, and they are, they're already starting to compete, I guess, more and more that way is to, uh, make themselves more attractive employers, but also, you know, make themselves, uh, make their employees feel valued as individuals in addition to, you know, contributors, uh, uh, contributing workers, I guess. Absolutely. And, and I believe, uh, uh, Phil, the more we move into this knowledge society, even though one could say digital is anonymous, I believe very much in digital, what we call digital with a human touch. And therefore, for example, at the first day of my arrival into my new role as CEO of this great organization, I didn't say, well, we have to shift strategy and because this is a bit technocratic. But I said there mm-hmm. is four key principles that are important for me and hopefully for the organization. One is customer first. The second one is people empowerment and innovation, because I believe we should not always believe in this case, our HQ is in Paris, that we are always smarter than people who can decide something uh, in Canberra, for example, in Australia. Mm-hmm. Uh, third, it's about simplification. We have to step into the shoes of our clients, despite the fact that when you do something in, as I mentioned before, in Burundi, it still needs to be compliant with local regulations. You know, if you do cross-border billing, can you do it? Can you not do it? But right. we need to keep in mind simplified approaches for our customers. And the fourth is, of course, keeping the promise. And this is both externally as well as internally. And this is why, together with my leadership team, we are looking every week, where do we stand on our key promises vis-a-vis our customers? Is there any critical item that we need to deal with? So you see, this is why I believe uh, it's not always a technocratic strategy uh, topic to be launched, but also something that is engaging our teams and to be part of this uh, story that we want to write as a network native digital services company. Excellent. Uh, Helmut Reisinger, thank you so much for joining us on the Light Reading Podcast. We really appreciate it. That is it. That's our show. Thanks to Mr. Helmut Reisinger for his time and insights. Thanks to Orange Business Services for arranging that interview. Uh, Very nice of them to uh, make some time for us. Thanks to Kelsey for her quips and questions. Thanks to our production crew, Pierre and Tien, because they are often left to uh, warm up our leftovers and make tomorrow's soup something delightful. Do appreciate their help. Uh, Thanks to you, dear listener, because if you weren't paying attention, we wouldn't be able to get away with doing all of this at work. And everyone, please tell a friend to subscribe. Let's get a few more people gathered around the table here, and we will see you next time on the Light Reading Podcast. Thank you.